From Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Pace, joined by a whole load of people who've actually been to an office. Woohoo! Congratulations. Hello. Actually in an office. Yeah, it's how was nice. it? I heard the air conditioning was amazing. Air conditioning was absolutely spot on. Really Hottest good. day of the year in the office. Perfect. I was Off in my shed at the creams. bottom of the garden. It was an absolute hot box. <laughs> so I wish I kind of actually sort of wished I'd gone into the office. I forgot how much I miss people. Talking to people. That, we all know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome Max Vetter, Kev Breen, and Paul Bentham. Hello. 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 In these podcasts, we try to look at cybersecurity from a human point of view, social engineering, hacker motivations, cyber crises, and more. These podcasts usually come in two flavors. Either we're ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or we are chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. And this episode is another one of those. And we are starting off, uh, we talked a little bit last week, actually, about the thin blue line. Um, and we're going to talk a bit again this week about the thin blue line. So blue leaks, you, you may have heard about 270 gigabytes of police data that has been. Police data is not really as specific, perhaps, as we'll get into the specifics of what that of what that was in a moment. Um, what's happened is that a WikiLeaks-esque organization called, is it DDoS? DDoS secrets? I think it's DDoS secrets. DDoS There's secrets. only one S. There's only one DDoS S, so that's why it's confusing. DDoS but it's secrets. DDoS secrets. Um, have essentially uh, leaked or released this information. They put it on a uh, on a public website uh, and also shared that through Twitter. Um, and Twitter have now taken the extraordinary step of uh, blocking those accounts and stopping them from sharing that website and that information. So... What do we make of all the what, what's the what's the thing that's interesting about this other than the fact that it's a pretty gigantic uh, leak of personally identifiable information? Um, but what what else is it that's interesting about the story? Well, I I'd say one of the most interesting things is how irresponsibly it's been leaked. I mean, I'm sure that the whoever whatever's in the data is there like was leaked for good, you know, well good reasons. They've just dumped it. There's no filtering. There's personal data in it all over the place, like records of people's criminal convictions. You know, it's a million vials and it's got everything that you shouldn't be dumping on the internet. That's not fair. But isn't this very, isn't that very WikiLeaks territory? Isn't that what WikiLeaks do? I mean, it wasn't the Panama Papers. I don't think the Panama Papers are all that bothered about where personally identifiable information appeared. I don't remember this being a thing before, so why would it matter now? Yeah, they say it's the more transparent alternative to WikiLeaks, which, you know, WikiLeaks is pretty uh, transparent in terms of leaking stuff. So they're suggesting they're leaking even more than WikiLeaks did. Uh, and in terms of the files of law enforcement, does that include files about um, people who are informing on people or, or you know, particularly, especially... Um, victims and everything else so yeah really kind of worrying that the state is out there I think I mean I can see the comparison to the Panama Papers but in those situations you're not putting people's lives at risk by leaking that information this this is this could have you know like Max is saying police informants it could have people that were uh, accused but never went to trial you could you it's just everything 10 years worth of data from 200 police departments just dumped on the internet yeah we don't um one of the other problems is that we don't know there doesn't seem to be i mean no one really seems to be talking as yet about what is in there we know that it includes 
um, names and email addresses and phone numbers and various images and, you know, text and video and all kinds of other stuff. Um, you know, there's a, I guess the argument might be that the volume of material means that it's obvious that there will be, you know, sensitive uh, data in, in that, uh, in that collection. Twitter's response is interesting. They almost immediately banned those accounts from sharing that public uh, website. Do we know why? Twitter says these files were contained illegally and therefore they're distributing illegal content, which violates Twitter's terms of service. They won't support that. So that was the reason they, they did that. I think the reason we don't know so much about what's in here is that shortly after that leak, um, like it was visible on the website. The website understandably got hammered by a lot of people and it's currently not serving anything. So that data is not visible in the public domain anymore, like from a quick uh, search of what was originally released. You know what's kind of interesting about this is that the compromise, um, Brian Krebs has got hold of it and he's saying that it was uh, uh, breaching uh, NetSential. Um, which was used a single user account on essential was um, was compromised um, and that and that's been used by all these departments and fusion centers and that's the source of uh, the leak which is kind of interesting and it, what's in another thing that's kind of interesting about this is that unlike most of the uh, attacks that we are talking about recently it's not a ransomware example so at least it's a bit more interesting than yet another ransomware they haven't uh, encrypted all those machines and they've 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 not um, um, done a ransom demand they've just dumped the data so whilst mm -hmm. it is grossly irresponsible to do that of such sensitive data for police and law enforcement operations at least it's interesting for us to talk about but somebody has obviously um, accessed that data I mean it feels like it's speculation but we it feels like a breach rather than a hack in this way. That's the thing, we don't have all the details yet, but from the details we do have, it does seem more like it was somebody inside with privileged access who, uh, in WikiLeaks style, took this out, rather than a like a hack breach style of compromise. It's still a, it's a compromise either way, but I don't think it was like they were hacked and mm. breached. I think somebody... I think I read that the National Fusion Centre Association said it was a compromised account, so that would suggest to me that it wasn't a... Um, it wasn't a militia, like an insider actor, but actually that some somehow somebody probably password reuse, I guess, um, and, and used it that way. But that feels to me like we do have a problem then about the about the rationale that Twitter gave for um, removing that link that was that was um, that had published that um, that data. Because the because the Twitter guideline that 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 they were saying it was to do you know they were a, a contravention of of hacked of a hacked material um, that's the rule like you can't share hacked material and the suggestion could be here that this could be a you know a whistleblower it could be somebody internally who's made that data available I don't think that's the same um, I don't think that's the same as that as that data necessarily being necessarily being hacked so. I think there's a there's a deeper there's there is a deeper discussion here about um about Twitter's behavior. Yeah, about Twitter doing what they're doing and and the and the potential reasons why. Do the US have a equivalent of our section D notice in the UK? So government can issue section D notices that kind of ban from the printed publication from publishing information. Of course that didn't work that well in the Snowden um situation, but I wonder if the FBI have issued an US equivalent section D on Twitter for this and threatened them with, order, with something. 
that they never seem to work on the internet anyway because you just go and google what what yeah. people are saying oh there's a section de order on it and, well and uh, it unless under goes. trump they've got more effective at it maybe under trump's administration he's got more uh control for want of a better word over twitter and has issued a notice to say this is law enforcement sensitive information it's putting lives at risk and affecting operations you will block or else or else so according uh, to ddos secrets so their statement on blue leaks is 24 years of data from over 200 police departments fusion centers and training support resources hacked by anonymous that's how they've branded it that's attribution that they surely can't that they surely can't really give well, and what and also then in that it. case and also then in that case what is like what is hacked you know an, an insider an insider with access to that information deciding to do something with it um and and also interesting uh, the twitter the context for twitter here if we go back to that policy so that this is a policy they call their distribution of hacked material policy um where they say that they don't condone attempts to compromise or infiltrate computer systems for malicious purposes we don't actually know that that's what's happened here so what are twitter doing the attribution now and deciding that's what's happened and therefore then you know blocking uh, whether that stuff can be whether that stuff can be shared or not and that feels like the thin end of the wedge to me that's super strange it why do, they've it does that. it's it's interesting because it's already in the public domain so like everybody's talking about this there's nothing new so allowing them to maintain their voice I, I don't know like unless they were planning even then like they can go to any other social media site they run their own domain so yeah it's it's weird it's an interesting and we're seeing a lot more of twitter taking a really hard stance on policing what people can say like they did mm -hmm. it with trump for mm -hmm. for right or for wrong but they hid one of his tweets like i didn't agree with his tweet but hiding it feels like yeah, it's it's an odd world we live in uh, and twitter has a lot of control in this world uh, the other suggestion seems to have been that well i think mistakenly um twitter were also at one point saying that the site that it was linking to um was was uh was risky was like at risk of infecting people so it mm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like they almost couldn't make up their mind. They knew that they didn't want people to go there, and they found they were trying to find the way that it was that would enable them to enable them to to stop that. It, it feels I'm not a I'm not a natural I'm not a conspiracy conspiracy theorist by nature, but it just all seems a little bit strange to me. Given that the Panama Papers were all over Twitter, and I I Paul I take your point, but I think they are they are comparable. You're talking about large caches of data leaked out of an organization um and made available to the general public through a website I d i'm struggling to see the difference we're also seeing now uh, so i've just checked so uh the dealer sensor website definitely not serving it but uh, there are already two or three mirrors uh, of other people who have got it before it went down and they're now actively sharing this so this stuff is well and truly out in the world have you been through it have you seen what's in there i haven't uh looked at any of it um there's a there, uh, all you have to do is follow the um, hashtag blue leaks uh, on on Twitter and you'll see lots of screenshots uh, of data in those of data in those yeah. files. Of I just tried to do this things basically that the police do. Um, I just tried to do this, but because I can't spell, I did leaks like the the, the vegetable and the, there's not <laughs> not many people are tweeting no about blue. No leaks. one's growing blue leaks now. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the collective says they have two criteria for published data. Uh, the data has a public interest and it's got to be capable of being verified, uh, whatever that means. Um, so, you know, then what happens to sensitive data that 
um, shouldn't be shared. And, you know, they do talk about them being journalists, but uh, journalists will typically make sure that there isn't data that is harming people uh, and it is of the public interest. But then there's 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 quite a lot of um, movement there in what is actually uh, of a public interest and, and what Th- can happen. There's no people. way they filtered all that to determine what is actually valid or useful. They just, they dumped it. They had a platform. They went with it. No, exactly. What I love is that they call themselves a transparency collective. Yeah. Who calls themselves a collective? The anonymous. Borg. The anonymous. The Borg the Borg. Are a collective. <laughs> That's so it. you're referring to them as mindless drones. I oh, no no no. You <laughs> said careful. that. Be very careful. You said that. I just said the collective is a strange term to call yourselves. Like, hey, we're the podcast collective. That's weird. <laughs> I think um, another thing I think is interesting is we're we're suddenly very focused on uh, how the data is being shared. Uh, We're very focused on who should be able to share it, whether people should be able to see it and whether it's sensitive or not. Um, And yet Brian Krebs has told us the root of it and we're not really talking about them at all. So we know where the problem lies. There's clearly an issue with securing data at some point point in this in this chain um and it's a supply chain thing right it's a third party it's caused by a third party and the leak itself is kind of distracting us from the fact that uh an organization has allowed this to happen that's the reality a law enforcement organization whose job it is to secure you know to protect um and they can't even they can't even look after that data why is that the conversation that's not have you been to netcentral.com Go to netcentral.com and have a look at the website that must have been built in 1998, by the looks of it. It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it has got a copyright 1998 on it. So this, this, and I'm, I'm not old, but this is from before I went to university. And I think I might know why they were compromised. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to get a closer look at the way that some of that um, technology actually worked and what it was doing and how it was held together because i think it feels like from my point of view that might be where the story is but you can call them toll free on 877-993-6433 extension 101 who uses extension (laughs) Extension 101 anymore the people who deserve the real blame here is whoever in the uh, the police and fusion centres decided that this was the right technology no. to you build know where, their but You know where on. this is heading. This where? is heading to, it turns out that it's like Uncle Bubba's nephew's cousin that runs NetCentral. <laughs> and so they've contracted out to these guys and they're all taking kickbacks off the, off the website development. That's what we're going to find out. Since 1998. Yeah, exactly. This is the real it's investigation. Just a, it's just a shell company. Can somebody do this? Come on. Yeah, we need to get on to... Uh... We, need, we need to on NetCentral. Is there even a CVE about this? What is NetCentral? Is it a CMS? Is it just a bunch of like uh, bespoke web dev? I think it's just uh, just a standard like HTML, ASPX. They like, are, not, they are literally not mentioned anywhere except in reference to this, to this hack. They're, they're, like, they're, they're like almost like... They are almost like a shell company. This is so weird. So odd. Something's up here. Something's well, actually, fishy. if you look at their website in back in 2004, which is basically the same structure as the one they've got now, they do talk about our software is currently being used by Fortune 500 companies, financial institutions, small and medium-sized businesses, etc., etc., etc. Like but there's nothing about there's nothing else about them on the internet. It's a CMS. It is. Net site sites are easy to maintain. You can cut and paste, and you can maintain and update your website. 
And to be honest, it doesn't actually surprise me. I've seen government sites. They are, you know, 10 years old, like legacy systems that's too expensive to rip out. So they just keep like playing with the same dodgy CMS. And like, it's no surprise to me that they've been compromised because it's like so old. And, and obviously in this case, it's, it, it's, that, it's that system connecting to stuff that really matters. That, that's, what, that's what's mm. happened in, the, in this case, obviously. It's all right, though. You can send to a friend. What do you mean hey. you can send to Oh, yeah, send to a friend. <laughs> send to a they've friend. Got the, um, they've got quite the, uh, the Twitter following. <laughs> have they? No, both, both, they, they, both joined in March, they joined in March 2010. They have one follower. <laughs> Is it anonymous? <laughs> <laughs> that would be so good. That would be so good. One follower. We're doing live. I mean, even I've got more. I know. Watch me sitting the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the expletive warning. Right, that might be the actual story. Not someone got hold of the data and did something with it, but a law, you know, a number of law enforcement agencies are incapable of protecting it. There is an important uh, part of this, which is uh, as part of the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, Anonymous reportedly st stole this data because of that, and we've seen Anonymous in the past do various things with the. Um, you know the the uh middle east um protests and things like that so uh, and this is reportedly trying to show uh, other data that that shows that uh, black um males or black people are more likely to get killed by police in the in the us than uh, anyone else and that that's the the side of it that is really interesting and I, I haven't seen any data that shows that but transparency in the police in the us is definitely shown to not be there and they're not collecting that data so this is maybe the way that anonymous is trying to get that data out there uh which should be supported but it, again as long as it's not hurting people who are have sensitive information in that data as well yeah i feel i i, I have to agree i feel as though the uh the the methods or the mindset of law enforcement should be up for examination and so if there's things in that cache of data that help us see those things i think that's right Definitely. um i think the problem is where it's then draw where it's sucked in you know um it in some cases innocent individuals innocent private individuals i think that is where that is where the problem has come here uh, and that you're right that that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have been allowed to happen all right i'm introducing a new feature Ooh. Are you ready now see when i suggest a new feature people are on the edge of their seats with bated breath <laughs> Other well, than... mine was sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> it's a new feature that nobody's prepared for the new feature is the random ransom generator and we're going to do this every week. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to take a closer look at ransomware gangs who are either attempting to extort money from people and who are they attempting to extort money, extort money from? Or we're going to look more closely at ransomware attacks that are going on in the moment. So we are going to try and basically talk about a ransomware attack a week, which could end up being really, really difficult. Or we might, like this week, find that we've actually got way too much to talk about. <laughs> um, so... What's going on in the world of ransomware? Well, the Maze Cartel, um, as they are now, as they will now be known, thenceforth nice. be known, um, have uh, released made a made a, a, what they're calling a, I love this they're calling an official announcement. So it's an official announcement from the Maze Group. It's not an announcement from it's not not an announcement from some other ransomware groups. An official announcement from them, um, and they have released a statement saying that they're very disappointed with the number of companies who are trying 
to decrypt uh, files themselves. <laughs> they, they, are, they are stopping negotiating with them and they are trying to decrypt the files themselves. I mean, what are they thinking? It's just, disrespe- it's just disrespectful. Um, but we also know, of course, that these cartels are now getting into this thing where they essentially are using these kinds of tactics to attempt to extort their victims either for more money or try to force them to make uh, the payments of the ransom uh, of the ransom quicker. And Kev has been uh, digging around on the on the dark web, and I think Kev, you've got a bit more information about some of the companies that have been. Uh, some of the companies that have been attacked uh, or are or are pushing back on Maze, um, and what sort of what, what's going on? What are Maze saying? Uh, yeah, so I've got access to Maze's news site, the Maze team official press releases, as they like to call it, and can, like we talked about, where they say that uh, companies are fighting back and they're hiring negotiators. Uh, just a couple of quick examples. So ST Engineering, apparently the negotiator they've hired lied to us and to ST Engineering uh, about their Australia-sized security hole in their perimeter. Can I just um, ask a question here? So this the, this negotiator thing, I think this is the first time I've heard... The, I mean, obviously it seems kind of obvious because, you know, it's a ransom. You'd, you would think that hiring a negotiator might be a, you know, might be a smart move. But I, I, don't, I don't think I've, I think I've heard this up to now. I'd hire Russell Crowe. <laughs> is this is that a late 90s film reference yeah it is a late oh, okay. 90s right. film reference yeah i'm not sure like they're they're not native english speakers um so this may be lost in translation um we do know companies hire in like uh if you've been affected by ransomware you might bring in a third party like deloitte to do the management for you you might offload uh, any negotiation for paying the ransom uh to whichever like vendor you brought in to manage your uh, oh, your your consul- what the consultants that the you've consultancy. hired or whatever. So, yeah. uh, it might just be that rather than negotiator, but uh, they're not from, like, they might not have that same terminology. I was thinking we just identified a gap in the market there. We could set ourselves up as ransomware negotiators. <laughs> so so we just pay, just pay, 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 there's, pay, there's, pay, pay, pay. Yeah, Paul be just like, <laughs> just pay it. I don't know why. Watch me, watch me. I'm amazing at negotiating. I'm amazing at negotiating. Hello. Yes, we will pay. So there's there's actually, there's a there's a company who claims to be able to decrypt anything. What they actually yeah, yeah. do is they charge you the ransom and then go and pay the ransom. <laughs> Is this a company called Time.ai? <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Oh, sorry, allegedly, Chris. in case they're thinking of suing us. Yeah, again, uh, it, it's brilliant. Um, and I think it was either Maze or Reval that actually outed them uh, for that behaviour because they said um, they'd put a press statement out saying we could do anything, and Maze came out and said, "Well, actually, no, you were just buying it from us." <laughs> Uh, but they they do talk about negotiators in the specific uh, statement where they say, if you're hiring uh, negotiators from local government, listening to them will just not help you. Um, they just want to profit from uh, doing it. They're not going to help you actually uh, stop the breach. Yeah, they're very anti-government. Uh, so that's uh, Maze. So the implicate. So the implication is that if you've called law enforcement and law enforcement is acting as your negotiator, then Maze are saying we don't like them or want to talk to them and you shouldn't listen to them it's quite interesting they they go into the losses the the oh lawsuits lawsuits and fines vary from 80 million to 47 million they're giving advice sort of basically like well this is what you could do if you go through all the normal stuff and then large companies lose 250 million because so basically just pay it 
So I think this is just a massive like the pool, PR that's the, pool, that's the pool approach, isn't it? See, they, they've listed it. all the reasons to pay they it. And so yeah. Paul was like, I'm, pay it, I'm, just pay yeah. it. How so hard could it be? I helped them with that. But I think this is a massive <laughs> PR campaign for Maze, though. I didn't help them with that. I think this is a massive PR campaign because I think they dropped the ball this week. So uh, they accidentally <laughs> ransomed the wrong company. <laughs> yeah. So they thought they had the Canadian Standards Association, but actually they hacked a New York architectural firm instead. <laughs> so I think it's all like, hey, don't look over here don't look over here look over here like great pr and i think maze are just i think maze have just like you know revenues are up businesses <laughs> business <laughs> is brisk <laughs> you know they just, it's a it's a lot of plates to spin yeah, you know they've got guys. a lot of new people um so you know it's gonna you know the, these oversights are occasionally going to happen but i'm sure their loyal customers will understand you know as they go through this time of transition into the cartel um, I'm sure their loyal customers will understand, you know, that they're they're doing their best to extort them in the way that only they can. Uh, since I last looked, uh, Maze have announced a new client, uh, World Net Telecommunications, um, and uh, they've offered up a zip file full of social security numbers as proof. Proof of life, you see? Back to Russell Crowe. 2000s, not 90s, just uh, so you know. Proof of life. They've, they've offered proof of life for the data. I love Colum- it. Columbus Metro Federal Credit Union are also listed as a new client. Uh, their proofs love are... The, I love the terminology. Uh, an online yeah, client. That they've recruited them as a client. <laughs> I love it. Do you mean they've got inside sales doing some business development? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's Maze. Um, switching over to uh, Revel or Sonakibi, who are definitely Paul's favourite um, uh, group. Uh, I don't know that I've got favourites. I am actually got <laughs> yes, quite a lot yeah, of respect. They are your favourite. I've got quite a lot of respect for Maze doing this uh, whole like treating us like clients. Uh, I, I think, think so. Nice. I think. Oh, what's They've interesting about it? Yeah, what's interesting about it though is it's um, back to something that we we hear floated around a lot. You know, there's a there's a business of cybercrime and there's a there's model. And it, it? model. But that actually this this kind of almost <laughs> almost marketing kind of proves that there really genuinely is a business model that they are applying and they also now are beginning to see actually if we the more public shaming we do maybe the more likely it is that they get paid and they recognize that so now they're investing energy in publicly shaming the companies that they're ransoming when you might have been able to get away with this before um and not being publicly shamed but now they're gonna if you're if you don't put your hands up they're gonna out you i felt quite sorry for the uh bosses, the CEOs, CISOs of those companies that are being ransomed because I can imagine them being like righteously indignant. I ain't paying no ransomware. <laughs> and then I'm like, mm, this is just not going to go, just pay it. The FBI have that. recently changed their stance as well, haven't they? Uh, I'm sure I saw something recently with the FBI saying, actually, your decision whether you want to pay the ransom or not. Have they really? After they said there was like an act of terror? Depends who you're ransoming. Depends who you're ransoming. Depends Trump, who you're ransoming. Yeah. yeah. Depends oh, well, have we heard ransom. anything about Trump? Uh, weekly, weekly check. No, oh. still nothing. Just uh, going to be uh, the elections in November. Do you think day so, before the elections? Yeah. Uh, Sodney Kibi's happy blog, uh, as they like to call it. Ah, um, they are my favourites. How jolly! <laughs> and I think we've spoken about this before, but if you don't pay the ransom um, and all negotiations fail, uh, what Sodney Kibi do um, is uh, they put it all up for auction. So all the data that you had uh, is up for auction. So their current auctions, uh, intercardinc.com. Um, oh, yeah, these guys, 40 gigs of spicy data. 
The start price is 100,000 uh, US. There's two days left on that, no bids. Buy it now for 500, though. Buy it, buy it now for 500. Uh, Fraser Wheedler, Courtney LLP. Who's buying it? Like, what? If you're buying, if you're the spending six figures, <laughs> the daydrainer. So they're, they're pricing it. This is brilliant. It's like a great pricing strategy, right? You've got a target company. They've got a billion dollars of revenue a year. You price it at 100K, whatever. Mm. You've got a target company that has 100K of revenue. You charge them 1,000. Like, just price enterprise pricing. It's brilliant. Great deal. I'm going to be on to our chief revenue officer why about would, that. Why wouldn't you wait? <laughs> And just buy it on the auction. On the auction. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so don't pay the ransom. Buy it back <laughs> via the auction. If you're the only one who I can I suspect get it. they've thought about this. They're pretty good at it. I, I imagine it's cheaper to pay the ransom than buy the auction. <laughs> Do you Ooh. think? No one would buy the auction if it wasn't the original company, though, would it? So this yeah. is, it's only uh, the original company short of this buy. Well, it. competitors would pay it. This one's got... Or other groups to exploit it. This one's got 14 days left. It's 10 million on the Blitz price. Uh, one million on the opening. What's what's the blitz price? Who's this? Uh, that's the buy it now price. Uh, <laughs> this is the database of Vera, Megan, Marcus, LLP. The size of the archive. Uh, so they're a leading provider of counsel for technology, science, and growth enterprises, specialising in intellectual property law. The size mm. of the archive is one point two terabytes. Includes all internal documents of the company, electronic correspondence, patent agreements business plans, projects, patents in the field of internet technologies and equipment development from companies including Asus to Ciber, Seagate, Nissan, LG, Daimler, Chrysler and more, uh, selling exclusively to one person. Okay, we are heading to Australia now. An advisory has been released um, by the Australian government, the Australian uh, Cyber Security Centre and the Australian Critical Infrastructure Centre. This is actually a pretty, this is a pretty big deal. Um, and the advisory details tactics, techniques and procedures identified during an investigation of a cyber campaign targeting Australian uh, networks. And principally, um, it seems to be uh, Australian governments and companies that are being targeted by a what they call a sophisticated state-based actor um they even go into detail there and say that most of this is happening through um compromising public facing infrastructure using a particular uh, unpatched particular piece of software uh, and then there are other vulnerabilities as well that are being uh, that are being leveraged so what do we think there's there's tons in here and there's tons of uh, stuff in here about the uh, the techniques as well um i i guess that the starting point for me is uh, is this another advisory because they feel like by giving an advisory it might help businesses to protect themselves better or it's looking to force patching of these particular kinds of vulnerabilities is that's why is that is this the kind of public service that they're doing I wonder if there's some politics in it as well. This is this is not a, a ransomware gang. This is not, um, you know, script kiddies. This is, I'm not going to say APT group, mm. but I will say that it feels very state actor to me. Like there's so much sustained, coordinated, patient, timely. These are, whoever's doing this has got the funding, the background, the resources the patience and the the sort of motivation to target the australian um and i don't think any attribution has been thrown around no, they, but they, a few people did keep saying oh there's something about china did uh, yeah, yeah but did the australian government didn't throw no, that they, did they? The australian well government i think there was shots haven't been fired the, no the, the old sources yeah. yeah okay so, but yeah, it's brilliant it's this actor. this uh, 
this advisory is absolutely i mean it just goes through all the steps they like released at tlp white so you can share it around and i guess they've done that so that they are a strong player within the community like australia key member of the five eyes community if this is happening in australia it might be happening in new zealand canada britain the us um i think it's it's part of the community of sharing the reason why they've they've done this level of i don't think it's targeted internally because frankly mm. the answer is like patches sodding servers but the um but the uh the ttp of the threat actor here i think is super interesting how they're like reusing all the um uh, i think it's called a copy is it are they calling it a copy and paste is that yeah, what so they paste compromises they're calling it yeah yeah that's the i mean so this is a 48 page document and it goes through a lot of detail uh, and everything's fully aligned to mitre which i love to see because it just makes it really easy for me to see mm. Uh, but yeah, so the, the title copy based compromise derived from the actor's heavy use of proof of concept, exploit code, web shells, and other tools copied almost identically from open source. Um, and this is a bit like when my coders code, isn't it? They go onto Stack Overflow, uh, <laughs> they copy and paste some code, and then they, they get in here, hey, I'm a coder. Is that, what the, is that what you're saying, Kev? They're just copying and pasting um, exploits from um, proof of concept code across the internet. Yeah, so um, we've seen a boom in the number of CVEs, CVEs issued. We've seen a boom in the number of responsible disclosures. Um, the lockdown has forced a lot of people to have a lot more time, including uh, bug hunters and uh, people of that nature. So we're seeing a lot more of these kind of compromises coming out. So before, while you're a state actor, you might have had a team developing these. You can actually save that resource, wait for these things to come out. It also means you can actually try and avoid some of the attribution if I'm writing custom tooling and it's only going to you, like you can identify me. If I'm taking the same tool that's used yeah, by exactly. other yeah. APTs, by yeah. other script kiddies, by everybody, like it makes attribution really hard from a tooling perspective. Then you have to rely on infrastructure. So this report has two edges, and like this is the same for a lot of these reports. In one instance, um, by releasing this report, the operators, the APT group, or who the state-sponsored act, whoever it is, they're going to have to burn all of their infrastructure. Like, that's that's done. That's not a small amount of stuff to tear down and to bring back up again. Uh, so you're actually going to delay them. Um, the other side of that is you're going to force them to start changing TTPs. Um, so you, you lose some visibility of that, and that's a fine balance. Um, and I think they've done the right thing here because it's not just like one company being tied to because it's a lot of people uh, sharing this information allows people to uh, to find it, identify it, start putting stuff in place. Uh, and if you weren't on their known list of victims, uh, you can use all this data to identify whether you were a victim as well. There's so much, there's so much in here as well that's just really interesting. Like how many different um, attack vectors that were used, whether it's a malicious word file, a malicious PowerPoint file, um, you know, um, a, uh, a SharePoint vulnerability, Kev, Kev, a SharePoint, <laughs> SharePoint vulnerability. vulnerability. Yeah. Kev loves and SharePoint. it said SharePoint, uh, SharePoint vulnerability from 2019. It suggests they're still updating SharePoint. So that, that's <laughs> good. That's good to know. <laughs> um, yeah, but, and I think it's fascinating, this whole report. And I'd love to, uh, I'd have to uh, like read all forty-eight pages. I haven't read them all. Like, I'm <laughs> read I, too much. I, I read through it and I, I grab bits and pieces. And like, there's there's a lot of interesting things in here. 
Uh, like I'm really happy uh, to see this level of report coming out, and like I said, it's I love to with Mitre. What I'm actually really impressed slash surprised about is that the government have managed to, um, or the Australian government have managed to um, attribute all of those attacks to a single actor. This looks like you know multiple years worth of different yeah. attack vectors, whether it's the Citrix exploit or SharePoint compromise or this Telerik initial access vector, or you know what, whatever you know word malware blah blah blah. Like there's so much going on, all attributed back to a single actor. I think it's fascinating. Um, I think also what's interesting here is that sorry, Kevin, we'll let you talk in a minute. <laughs> I think Don't also let him talk. <laughs> I think also what's interesting here is that it gives um, it gives the kind of context for patching that we're always talking about like how do i know that i'm prioritizing this patch or not information like this is mm. perfect to enable you to make those decisions in an, in, in an intelligent literally in an intelligent way and i think that's an important distinction that the report doesn't necessarily see so reading this report we like we saw this stuff from 2019 it's very easy for us to say well why haven't they patched we don't know that this exploit didn't happen like two, three days after those patches were released because we don't have that data. Uh, you're you're saying that this might be no. I mean, the way that they've launched this, that they've under sustained attack. They're not saying we've been in sustained attack for the last eighteen months. I think they're saying it feels like there's a recency, an urgency in it. Agreed. I'm just saying it's it's we don't know. So yeah, no, it's true, very true, it's true. very easy to judge them and go, oh, they haven't patched like. Uh, we don't know, especially with the Citrix things, because Citrix didn't release patches for months, uh, no. and they were vulnerable. So, uh, I think all round we can really uh, commend the Australian government for for putting this amount of information out there. It's really interesting for us to see, really interesting for us to talk about, and super helpful for the community. And like following standards, like mapping it all to the Mitre techniques, just absolutely makes it perfect for us to use in proper like actually use this information intelligently to make sure that our companies are well defended i think that's everything because we've had these conversations before looking at stuff that's been released by yeah. intelligence agencies Good old pebble about dash. cyber threats <laughs> and we're like we don't really know we don't really know what this is telling us but the minute that you put in the mitre tactic or the mitre technique we're like you say, it's the standards that make this powerful. Not, not in some cases, even the information itself. It's the um, aligning of it to a standard that if we, yeah. if we can, can continue to do this moving forward, will at least give people a framework to legitimately hang intelligence off. And I, cause I don't think we've been at this place up to now. No. And as a network defender who, wasn't a target of like any Australian like I'm not in Australia so I wasn't these targets but I can very quickly look through all those MITRE techniques all those um, T numbers and go where do I have overlaps in my organization like I can immediately go and check those very specific points in a very short amount of time yeah true maybe we should start a campaign and make every uh, victim of some sort of cyber attack publish something of this style like that it becomes mandatory not that they're fine GDPR blah 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 or whatever like actually like publish something in interesting or that part of the fine that they have to pay is to a company that goes in and publishes it in a really useful shareable way without compromising their own information etc but that tells us as as infosec pros that what 
is to pay what we can learn from that attack uh, on that company. And there shouldn't be anything to stop them anonymizing, you know, anonymizing up to a point. It's not like we read this and we were like, oh, we know every organization that was, you know, attacked or compromised. We don't know that. They, they, they haven't needed to tell us that. They told us the relevant software. They told us the techniques. They told us the vulnerabilities. They told us the attack vectors. Like, that's... That's the kind of stuff that people need. And you're right. You're right. If you asked me, you know, would I rather that would I rather that um, BA had to pay a fine of hundreds of millions or that they had to release, you know, detailed uh, information about how that breach happened? I think B is actually a lot more useful in terms of protecting other people. Absolutely. Oh, that's a positive note to end on. That's a great note to end on. Well done, Australia. And everybody should follow that example. Yes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at ImmersiveLabsUK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.